0: Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're here tonight. It is a messy evening. It was messy this morning and messy tonight. And they're calling for bad weather tonight, I think. And uh, hopefully, hopefully and prayerfully we will dodge any ice. But we're glad that you're here. We're going to be looking tonight at Psalm 136, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago, as we think together about the gracious hand of a loving God. I do want to begin tonight by saying that we appreciate and I always want to stress how much we appreciate those who visit. We are very fortunate to have a number of people come our way from week to week and some have come our way and have decided to cast their lot with us and for that we are eternally grateful. It might be the case that you're here tonight, you're looking for a church home and we want to give you a golden invitation a part of the work here. We would love to have you come and join hands with us. I think we have a great congregation of people and it is is—it's certainly, I think, a great opportunity to be a part of a loving family. And So if you're not a part of the church here, we'd love to have you come and be a part of us. Let's look tonight at Psalm 136 as we think about the gracious hand of Almighty God. When you begin reading Psalm 136, one of the things that stands out is how we as God's people ought to be a thankful people. There's so many things that we ought to be grateful for. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. We have been made the recipients of so many blessings in this life. It would be difficult, as we sang a moment ago, to enumerate each and every blessing that we enjoy in life. And yet, we as his people acknowledge him as the giver of all things, and we want to express to him our thanksgiving on a regular basis. I want to begin tonight by emphasizing the importance of remembering to be thankful to God A life of thanksgiving is not confined to a single day in the year, but rather as the children of God, we ought to be grateful every day. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he would say, continue steadfastly in thanksgiving, watching therein with thanksgiving. There's some reasons why we ought to be thankful. Number one, I want to suggest that we ought to be thankful because of the goodness of Almighty God. Listen to what the psalmist said in verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You recall in Psalm 100, the psalmist called upon those who were living in his age to make a joyful noise unto the Lord He went on to say that the Lord, he is good. God is a gracious God, but his goodness, hard to explain. The psalmist here said, the Lord is good. He went on to acknowledge that his mercy endures forever. I think about the mercy, grace, and love of a gracious God in heaven. Jeremiah in chapter 31 at verse three said, that the Lord has loved us with an everlasting love. Go back and you look at the Old Testament. For example, the Pentateuch. And the Bible talks about the grace of Almighty God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We have been the recipients of God's great and matchless grace. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter two, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. The Bible here says that the Lord he is good, his mercy endures forever. And so the goodness of almighty God, but then the greatness of almighty God There are two things that I think are underscored in verses two and three, and that is his superiority and his sovereignty, and really, they go hand in hand. In verse two, he said, Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Typically, when we think about gods in lower case, our minds race back to the people who lived in pagan idolatry, During the days of the Old Testament era. But I think here the psalmist is talking about those rulers or magistrates that lived, those who reigned over kingdoms, rulers that had come into power. And what the psalmist is saying is that God is above all of those individuals. You remember. In Daniel chapter 4 verse 32, Daniel said the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6 that God is over all. Not only is he superior to those who may reign upon this earth, but he is sovereign. That is, he is over everything. In Psalm 99 verse 1, the Bible says, the Lord reigneth. Everything is under his divine control. You look around in the world today and it seems chaotic and we pause and reflect upon the state of our nation and there are reasons for concern. We're alarmed. And yet Almighty God is still in control. He's still on his throne. And the psalmist here is saying we ought to give thanks to Almighty God. Why is that? Because he is the God of gods and he is the Lord of lords. And his mercy endures forever. You go back and you look at some of the pagan leaders of days gone by. Those who were in power and yet God was in control. Today, God is in control. What about some reasons to be thankful to God? What are some causes for our thanksgiving? Well, the psalmist said one of the reasons we ought to be thankful is because of the creative power of Almighty God. Listen to him in verses four through nine. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. I think about the uniqueness of his work and the uniqueness of his world. God is the one that is responsible for the universe in which we find ourselves. God is the one that framed the heavens. He's the one that set the sun, the moon, the stars, in their place. The Hebrew writer would tell us in the long ago, every house is built by some man, but he who built all things is God. God is the cause behind our creation. The world in which we live was framed by by an almighty God. Not only did God make the world, but the Bible tells us he is the one who upholds the world. Everything is kept in check or balance." by the hand of Almighty God. The Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. There are a lot of people in our world today that are living under the illusion that we are the products of something other than an Almighty Creator. That we're the products of evolution and I would question how many schools all across our country today Are teaching our young people that we haven't been made by an almighty God, but rather we as a people are products of evolution. The world as we see it, the result of some type of explosion, anybody with any kind of understanding ought to be able to see through that. I understand that there are some quote unquote scholarly people that espouse this teaching. And yet Paul would say in Romans chapter one, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The psalmist would say in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The world is evidence that there is a creator. You remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 19? The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. When we step outside this building, there is evidence, ample evidence, for a divine creator. And so the uniqueness of the world in which we live, the uniqueness of his work in creation. Isaiah, in the long ago, Isaiah wrote about 750 years before Jesus came to earth. He asked the question on one occasion. Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? Isaiah in the long ago said that God is the one who brought the world as we know it into being. And then I think about his controlling power, not just his creative power, but his controlling power. In verses 10 through 25, the psalmist really gives us a narration of God's bountiful care for his people. God needed a nation through whom he could bring the Messiah into the world. And so God called upon Abraham, and God would use Abraham to become a father of the Hebrew nation. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, that in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. God later told Abraham that his people would would sojourn in a foreign land for about 400 years in chapter 15 and that they did. And so in verses 10 through 25 the psalmist here begins narrating the bountiful care of almighty God on behalf of his people. First he cites the fact that it was God who delivered his people. Note if you would what is said beginning in verse 10 And I think about the constancy of the care that is provided by Almighty God. He said, to him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, and his mercy endures forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. You remember back in Exodus chapter 3 God had called upon Moses and Moses would become the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel and God said in the long ago with regard to Israel and their bondage he said I have seen their oppression in Egypt and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and then he said in about verse 7 he said for I know their sorrow There's a great lesson there for us. We talk about the bountiful care, the constancy of God's care for his people. Let me tell you what, God cares about us. Not only does God care about us as a a people, but God is involved in our lives on a daily basis. And you begin looking at the constancy of God's care for ancient Israel. It's evident He led them forth out of Egyptian bondage. The psalmist said he divided the Red Sea in two. His mercy endures forever. He made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Again, his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. I want to just pause there for a minute. If you go back and you look at Israel in bondage and they're crying out to God and he raises up a man by the the name of Moses at the age of 80. Moses is ready to lead these people out of bondage. Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh and Pharaoh, as we would say, toyed with them time and again. But when God had enough, he said, my people are ready to leave and they came forth out of Egyptian bondage. And as the psalmist said, he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the long ago in the Red Sea. God's care for his people demonstrated time and again. I mentioned a moment ago, or rather, Exodus chapter three at verse seven, when God said, I know their sorrows, there is not a tear that falls to the ground by any child of God that our Lord is not mindful of. God knows our plight in life. Not only does he deliver his people, but the Bible says he directs his people. Verse 16, the Bible says, he led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. Go back and look at Exodus chapter 13. And there you'll find Moses recording... God leading or directing his people out of the land of Egypt. He didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines. He said, though that was near. And the reason was because he said, when my people see war, he said they might become discouraged and want to return to Egypt. So he led them by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And so you see God leading his people out of Egyptian bondage and caring for them and directing them and bringing them to safety. In chapter 15 of the book of Exodus, you find Moses praising Almighty God for their deliverance. God may not direct us as he did ancient Israel and the long ago, but make no mistake about it, he is still in control. He still directs us, doesn't he? How does he do that? through his word. Many of us today have GPS systems. It's a marvelous thing to be able to plug in an address and and to find, find our way to our appointment or wherever it may be we're going. Let me tell you what, God can safely direct us through this world. I think about how as children of God, we're on a journey. God's people were on a journey in the long ago. You and I today, we are journeying through life. We are but pilgrims or aliens as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 here upon this earth. We are sojourners. Our ultimate destination is heaven, isn't it? Well, how can I get from planet earth to heaven? The only way that I know, follow the word of God. It is, as the psalmist said, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. With regard to the direction that God provided ancient Israel in days gone by. And really, when you look at this narration, think about how God had said back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he would bring the promised seed into the world. God called on Abraham, didn't he? He used Abraham to build a mighty nation of people, and it would be through his lineage that the Christ, the Messiah, the seed would come. So Abraham had a child. He and Sarah had a son of promise, Isaac. And so you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons would be the tribe through whom the Christ would emerge, the tribe of Judah. And so the Old Testament is a narration of God bringing his plan to fruition. We talk about the family of David, and David being the king of the United Kingdom, and God was with David and God told David that he was going to set up a kingdom. That kingdom, of course, eternal in nature. Not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And ultimately, it would be the Christ who would sit upon the throne of David. And today, he reigns and rules. Where does he reign and rule? Not here upon this earth, but in heaven. Read Acts chapter two. Jesus today is now sitting on his throne in heaven. So how did all all that come to pass? How was it that God was able to fulfill his promises and bring the Christ, the Messiah, the promised seed into the world as we read throughout the Old Testament? Let me tell you how he did it. He did it by his providential care, his hand. And so God directed his people during that era. Not only did God direct his people, but the Bible says he defended his people. Drop down and look with me, if you would. Picking up, pick up with me in verse seventeen. The Bible says to him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, his mercy endures forever. Ah, king of Bechan, his mercy endures forever. He gave their land as a heritage. His mercy endures forever, a heritage. To Israel, his servant, his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our lowly state, his mercy endures forever. And rescued us from our enemies, his mercy endures forever. He gives food to all flesh, his mercy endures forever. Again, the thrust here the fact that God defended his people, didn't he? Who was it that was with ancient Israel when they went into the land of Canaan? God was. God used Joshua in the long ago to bring them into the promised land. They would ultimately forfeit that land because of their disobedience. But nonetheless, when you read this psalm, the psalmist is saying we ought to be thankful to a gracious God in heaven. Why? Because he is with us every step of the way, just as he was with ancient Israel in the long ago. God brought his plan to fruition, his plan to bring a redeemer into the world. So you look at what the psalmist is saying and he says that God remembers his people. It is God who rescues his people. It is God who refreshes or reinvigorates his people. Why, because he's a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God. Very quickly, let me just talk for a minute about his reminder to be thankful. Look at verse 26. Here's what the psalmist said. Oh, give thanks to the God of heavens for his mercy endures forever. By way of practical application, let me just say this. We ought to be thankful each and every day. There are so many things that, as children of God, we have to be thankful for. First of all, there are the physical blessings of life, our health, our wealth, our mental disposition. Did you know that God is said to be the giver of all life, breath, and all things? Everything that we enjoy in this life comes from Almighty God. And so physically speaking, we are but stewards of those things that God has entrusted into our hands. And the psalmist here is closing this this particular psalm By saying as the people of God we ought ought to be reminded to pause in the midst of our busy lives and thank God. In our country we have what is called Thanksgiving Day. And every year in November we pause and reflect upon the bounty of Almighty God. The psalmist is saying that as a child of God we ought to be grateful every day. Why, because of those physical blessings. We live in a prosperous nation. It's not a perfect nation, but it's a prosperous nation. We get up in the morning and we live in peace. We go to bed at night, again, in peace. We live in a country that affords us religious freedom. We live in a country in which we have plenty to eat every day. There are a lot of people in the world that don't have those blessings. Many of us, we have good jobs, Nice homes, comfortable automobiles to drive in every day. Where'd all that come from? From God. And the psalmist is saying what we ought to do is be grateful to God for everything we have. Again, as Paul said, in everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God. What about our spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing afforded us is because of God. Again, think about what Paul said, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Let me tell you what, if God didn't love us, if he didn't care about us, if he wasn't interested in our well-being, number one, he surely wouldn't provide those physical and material blessings that we enjoy daily. Moreover, he wouldn't provide the spiritual blessings that we have. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 Paul said that those of us who belong to the body of Christ that we enjoy a vast array of spiritual blessings. He said every spiritual blessing is in Christ in the heavenly places. Let me tell you what because of Christ you can go home tonight and you can be forgiven. You can be among the redeemed. The Bible tells us that sin drove a wedge between us and God. Sin is what has alienated us from our Creator. And yet just as we read in Psalm 136, God caring for ancient Israel in order to bring the Christ into the world because you see, Israel was that channel through whom the Christ would come. He gave those people a law and the law was pointing people in the direction of Christ. Again, the reason, the reason God went to these links? because of sin, because we needed a redeemer. And so through Jesus Christ, our sins can be washed away. When you obey the gospel of Christ, the Bible says every sin, purged, washed, you're cleansed. You can go home tonight, you can lie down on your bed, and you can know that you're at peace with God. All of that possible because of the gracious, the gracious hand of a loving God. You have the privilege of prayer because God is your Father and because God is concerned about your plight here on planet Earth. And what God says is, when you need me, I'm here. When you want to call call upon me, all you have to do is pray. Here's what the Bible says. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To know that God has given us a means to communicate with him. He's communicated with us through his word. He's told us. You've got all kinds of blessings. Those blessings are wait are just waiting to be tapped into. All you have to do is obey the gospel, live for me, and enjoy the riches that I have to give you. I want to ask you a question tonight. There are a lot of folks in our world that are, as we say, ingrates. They're unthankful. They never pause to reflect upon all the blessings that come their way daily. But you're here tonight, and I know that you're thankful to God for all that He's done, physically, materially, mentally, and most of all, spiritually. What about those spiritual blessings? Are you a child of God? Are you one of His children? Are you a part of His church? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, tonight is the night to do that. Become one of his children. Here's what you need to do. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. If you die in your sins, the Lord said, where I am, there you can't come. And then you need to, well, you need to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. And why is that? Because when you do that, your sins are washed away and God adds you to his church. Now sometimes people say, well, why do I need to be a part of the church? Because that's where the saved are, Ephesians 5.23. So if you're here tonight and you're not a member of the church, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to his cause, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? Why not do that this very hour? In a moment, we're going to sing a song, as we do after every lesson. Sometimes, for whatever reason, it may be that we just go through the motions. But it might be the case that you're here tonight and you need to respond. We don't want you to leave here. We don't want you to leave here without doing what you know you need to do. So I want to encourage you. Be thankful to God that your life has been spared up until this, this point in time in life so that you can make things right and be one of his children as we stand and sing.